I heard my door get kicked in alone, you know, with yelling. And when I got up, you know, I went to the living room. My son was already there. And he asked, you know, I asked him, you know, what was that? And he, he told me the military was outside. and I'm going to be sharing some of the cases that keep me up at night. And I want you to tell me if you think justice was served or nah. In today's episode, I'm going to share Rakim Balagoon's Black Identity Extremeness or BIE case with you. This designation, BIE, was used by the FBI from August 2017 until July 2019. The counterterrorism report the term first appeared in stated, the 2014 shooting of Michael Brown and the uprising in Ferguson that followed has spun a new violent domestic threat, the black identity extremists. And it describes safety concerns regarding police. Here's what happened when the FBI came for Rakim. So, you know, I was confused. But at this angle, the way my apartment is angled, you know, if you're standing at my front door, you can't really see all the way into the apartment. It's like a turn. And so, and it's like a real thin funnel. And so law enforcement, you know, they're not going to go through a funnel situation when they're doing a uh, home invasion, you know, because they can easily be shot. So they stayed outside and yelled commands inside the house. And so first, and so thing, this was like you know, first, 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, this around 5.15. Wow. And, you know, at this moment, while they're currently do the, doing it, you know, while this is happening, they have a whole apartment complex, you know, and I was saying in the north side suburbs of Dallas, they had the whole apartment complex shut down. They wouldn't let nobody leave or come in out their doors. Um, they had a whole bunch of military Humvees along with a whole bunch of unmarked vehicles and marked vehicles. And they were all there just to arrest you? Correct. They was actually prepared for a shootout. And I could tell, you know, the way they postured. Yeah. You know, and the way they postured the um, Humvees to where, you know, the the nose of the truck with which is the machine gun that's now on top of it, you know, was facing at my apartment from different angles. And I understand your son is just a teenager, so he's probably freaking out. He probably doesn't know what's going on. He's probably scared. Well, he did know what was going on because any kid that lives in my house has to um, have political education. So he'll read a side of books. You know, he'll read George Jackson books, Revolutionary Suicide, The Die for the People. So he... He was, he was, you know, he was surprised yeah. that it's actually happening to him, but he know this happened in America. I got you. So they yelled the commands into the apartment, and you came out, and they arrested you, and what did they charge you with? Um, illegal possession of a firearm. Of one single firearm? Well, of, of the firearms that I had in my home. Oh, okay. And at my home at that time, 
I only had three firearms at, at my residence. Okay. And were they registered? Because I know you were part of open carry, so you were abreast of those laws, or were they really just not registered? Well, here in the state of Texas, we do not have to register firearms. You, all you have to do, if, you know, if you're 21, you can go in the store and buy a pistol. If you're 18, you, you can go buy you a rifle. And all you have to do is pass the background check of, you know, of no felonies or domestic violence or mental health or dishonorable discharge. Or, and you cannot have a protect, an active protective order on you at that time. According to The Guardian, Rakim learned the FBI was investigating domestic terrorism and they had been monitoring him for years. He was arrested that day, denied bail, and sat in prison for five months. And the U.S. attorneys failed to prosecute him. I was wondering if you can explain exactly um, what a black identity extremist is and how did the FBI come to try to label you as a black identity extremist? Okay. Uh, black identity extremist consists of is a FBI memo which was the assessment which was created to identify with, you know, black people who may, uh, in, in their words, perceive injustice or, or racism, anything of that nature, and may kind of react to that in a violent way. And so uh, that's what the black eye a BIE, Black Identity Extremist, uh, assessment pretty much states. Uh, now, how I became surveillance, and so far right now, um, the federal government has not released that information uh, from uh, Freedom of Information Act. Um, and I'm currently suing to get to gather that data, but mm -hmm. it's just from my assumption and and just from dealing with this whole case all together, what I assume is that I think they embarked on surveillancing me from a situation that happened when I was with an organization which I'm no longer a part of called the UEP Newton Gun Club. And that organization I actually was a co-founder. And he had a, a group of armed white militia, militia militant men wanting to come into a, a predominantly black community in Dallas called South Dallas and do a um, a protest, open carry protest on Mosque Number Forty Eight in South Dallas. And so, you know, once we were aware of that, uh, and we found out, we reached out to that group. And we let that group know that, hey, you know, you guys are not wanting in this community. Community support, mock number 48. And if you guys show up, you know, with your guns, we'll be there with our guns to meet you. And so... Is that, um, how, is that how the Huey Newton Gun Club was established? Or had y'all already established the gun club before that? Oh, at that time, we was already established a, a minimum of two years. We got established. Um, in, in August 2014, that happened in around May, I'm sorry, April 
2016. Okay. So by that time, you know, we have done a lot of things, a lot of open carry uh, movements, which have went viral via social media. Particularly at that time, there weren't as many black formations doing open carry. That's what made that situation so sensational. But okay. initially when the group said it was coming to um, South Dallas, they set an original date, and they reached out to police after we uh, contacted them and asked that they be escorted by, you know, Dallas police. Dallas police told them that they was going to need two weeks to prepare to escort them for that. And so when the day of, the two weeks later, when they showed up to do the open carriage protest, it was a, a overwhelming number of police escorting them into South Dallas. And not only that, but there was federal, uh, it was people that you knew was a part of the FBI that was there as well because you didn't see them interacting with the local police at all. And it seemed like they had their own um, unique mission. And they were on top of buildings the monoculars and spotter scopes, you know, surveillance and everything we were doing during the time we were standing um, guard at Mach 48. So and that's, that's when we... That's the video went viral of y'all sort of protesting too. Most definitely. And then that's how they probably found your name. You're assuming that's how they found your name and that's when they started watching you. Well, the FBI agent, he testified in court when my defense cross-examined him. He testified that he originally came across me in 2014 from uh, open carry, no, I'm sorry, 2015 at open carry protest that he was doing gun clubs my organization, Gorilla Mainframe, at the state capitol building of Texas during uh, a event called South, South by Southwest here in Texas. Rakim is a true activist. He stood on the front lines in Ferguson. He's regularly helped out the most vulnerable people in his community. When this happened, he lost both his freedom for five months and his job. And he wasn't even prosecuted. My question to you is, do you think justice was served or not? Nah? How did this incident impact you? So this arrest where they, where they were saying your firearm was illegal, but it, it clearly was not. Like, how did that impact you? You know, I, I was able to have a third-hand experience of federal government overreach and uh, first using uh, federal resources, um, I'm sorry, federal resources for personal biases, you know. And I was able to see how they can manipulate legal loopholes to try to, um, to, try to sabotage my freedom and my constitutional rights. And the way they did that was, you know, it took six months just for a judge to even see my case. 
Well, oh, wait. They burst into your home. They told you you couldn't get bail. And then you had to be locked up for six months? Yes. Well, you know, I was being detained while pending trial. You know, and and so it took him six months to even look at my case. He would have looked at it the first day I would have got arrested. He would have let me out immediately. But, you know, due to the fact that the federal courts are overwhelmed with with cases that really shouldn't be in court, it takes that long. And, you know, not only that, they were playing games with my life. And the way they were playing games with my life, they were telling me, like, hey, you know, your crime can get you up to 10 years. Realistically, you're looking at six years in prison. Um, they offered me a deal to plead out if I accepted uh, a conviction in six months' detention. Okay? Now, I was told if I go to trial and be found guilty, you know, I would be easily get six years. And so it was, I had to make a decision, you know, and my thing is with me being a black militant, an activist, an organizer, you know, and proud and unapologetic about it, um, I was not going to fold on my principles and my morals. And I was going to stand and fight this thing, you know. And so I did that. Um, in which, you know, the judge immediately when he looked at my paperwork, he felt the same way that me and my defense attorney felt, you know. And this, this is a federal judge that's been here in Dallas for a long time, you know. And he had to go with what was right that he felt. And so after that, you know, my, my defense attorney told me, you know, he felt that what they was just trying to do, he, he told me that they wanted to manipulate me with a plea deal and accept a criminal act that I never uh, committed. And so, you know, I didn't. But his brothers, he was in that situation that accepted plea deal, you know, yeah. because the federal courts are railroading people on a daily basis. Right. Um, and we've reported on how people are, like, pushed over into plea deals way too many times or being accused or having, like, other charges added onto their charges so that they will accept the plea deal to save their lives. Um, so I'm, I'm familiar with that, and I'm sorry that that happened to you. Um, I, my next question is, do you believe that um, there's anything that black activists can do to protect themselves from being labeled as black identity extremists? Uh, no, not at all. I don't care. You know, you don't have to brandish a firearm. You don't have to wear any militant attire. You know, you don't even have to use aggressive speech or anything of that nature. But when you're unapologetically black and you promote a counterculture in today's society, even if you're not labeled as a BIE, um, you, you're, you're on somebody cares watch list. And you may not know it, because there are millions of people on the terrorist watch list you, you may not be aware of it. I'm going to tell you one way you will know. If you take, if you get on an airplane, if your ticket at the bottom has like four or five S's at the bottom, you're on a terrorist watch list. If every time you get on a plane at TSA, 
always pick you to be searched. The additional search, you're on a terrorist watch list. But it's different levels of terrorist watch list. You may not be getting picked for additional search in TSA, that does not mean that you're not on a terrorist watch list. Yeah. And there's a lot of people on there. Thank you for listening. If you want to talk more about this case, meet me in the Facebook group where I've posted some discussion questions. You can follow me on Nappy Thoughts across all social media platforms. You can also rate and share this episode if it's worth it. We'll chat soon. This is an Aisha Adams Media production. I can't do it.